Hi, Bill. How are you doing today? Hey, Robin. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. Are you getting ready for Thanksgiving? You know, we're we're so excited over here in the States. It's an opportunity to get together with family and and just eat way too much food. So well, I'm always giving thanks for that. There's new security incidents. There's new advancements in the world of tech and there's ways of protecting and against it. So let's just get straight started with our first element of the day. And let's talk about changing the meta game, chaining, chaining, making life different. What is Meta, right. formerly Facebook, doing or what are they proposing? Well, there you go. So formerly Facebook, obviously, they have a lot of experience with trying to provide a secure environment online. And we had a couple of engineers. Actually, it was one engineer in particular, Ben Nimmo, who presented at CyberWarCon recently. And he presented what has essentially been a development of him and Eric Hutchins. Now, for those who don't really know the, the history or the who's who within the cybersecurity business. Eric Cutchins was a co-author of the famed and much used Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain. Mm. And Ben and Eric worked together on behalf of Meta and they came up with what they feel is a more applicable kill chain model. Mm. Uh, this expands the original from, from seven items up to 10 items. And uh, certainly very interesting what they proposed. Can you remember the original seven steps of the Lockheed Martin kill chain? Ooh, you know, it's time. So funny. I, I, I love that you ask that because when I learned it, I had an instructor way back when who said that the way to remember it is to use the phrase, real women don't eat ice cream alone. So I do remember it. It's reconnaissance, weaponization, <laughs> delivery, exploitation, installation, command and control, and actions on objective. So how's that? Oh, top marks, top marks, seven out of seven. <laughs> Can you remember uh, right. the 10 proposed by Meta? You know, I absolutely can't. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have looked at it very recently and, uh, you know, of course, have my handy dandy notes. But uh, the new one is uh, it's a little bit different because what they're attempting to do, uh, Meta's perspective, of course, is to bridge that gap between what we would think of as traditional uh, damaging information op operations with what they term malicious online behavior. So they've really tried to take a more asset-based approach with it in their presentation of the kill chain. Now, remember the whole purpose behind a kill chain, Robin, is to identify any area within that process of, of attack and actions on objectives where you can disrupt the operations of the threat actor. So to, to kind of go through the 10 now, if, if folks aren't aware of what it is, Again, very asset-based. They start, number one, with acquiring assets, then disguising those assets. The third step is to gather information, followed by coordination and planning of what the threat actor is trying to do. They'll then move into testing defenses, evading detection, uh, engaging from an indiscriminate manner, in other words, kind of a wide spray, and then taking that down to a targeted engagement compromising the assets that are the targets and then enabling persistence. So it's a mouthful. I think it remains to be seen um, what the industry adoption is going to be of this new kill chain. But again, having a robust and converged cybersecurity solution is going to be key, regardless what model we look at adopting. Well, Meta, they're not afraid to take risks, especially if they don't have justification and numbers to back them up. 
you know, moving from being a social connection platform or social engineering platform, depending on which side of the fence you are, to being an augmented reality or virtual reality company means that they are have or they have to be aware of every single attempt of data exfiltration. So coming out with a 10-step program instead of a 7-step program, do you think this is more aligned to the needs of the modern-day IT enterprise, or do you think they're just trying to reinvent the wheel to get more noise? Well, you know, you could argue both sides of it, Robin. Certainly the reinvention wheels are in full motion, and this may be an opportunity for Meta to shape the conversation a little bit, and certainly you can't blame them for wanting to do that. The engineers that are involved with this are certainly knowledgeable in the field. We we know them. They have a reputation. So it remains to be seen. Again, we're trying to figure out a way to, I guess, in essence, peel this onion on how do we stop threat actors from being able to engage and, and be successful in what they're attempting to do. So the jury's out on that, Robin, right now. I think it's it's still very new information. It's still something worthwhile of being processed. And really what this boils down to is, does it shape the narrative and shape the, the learning that is done in the cybersecurity industry? So stay tuned. Stay tuned, stay tuned. So talking about staying tuned, everybody's watching television recently. There's a small football tournament happening in the world where I have to say as a proud Welshman, we tied 1-1 with the USA last night. So happy days. But with large events such as football, there comes a large opportunity. So tell us about Qatar and fishing. Yeah, you bet. But before we do that, we have to be very clear for for the U.S. audience who sees football as something entirely different. Um, of course, we would call it soccer, but uh, the world is certainly watching. And the, the FIFA World Cup coming soon. Uh, we, we know that a lot going on in Qatar. Very, very exciting times. Interestingly, though, it was roughly five days ago, Robin, there was some data published that said as a result of all this excitement and as a result of everybody paying attention and staying tuned, we have seen phishing attacks more than double to uh, targeting Middle Eastern nation states, which is maybe expected because most of these phishing attempts are FIFA themed. So we have a lot of excitement in the air. We have a lot of people who are very interested in more information. They are certainly impassioned uh, about what's taking place. And those phishing campaigns are targeting that and uh, are able to get users to do things that maybe they shouldn't do. So what shouldn't users do? <laughs> mm, well, be careful what you click, of course. <laughs> um, that, that's That's always first and foremost when we talk about phishing campaigns you know email continues to be one of the most used threat vectors in the entire uh, in cybersecurity industry and my suspicion is that that's because it directly targets the meat suit the end user uh and and what they're doing is typically redirecting to malicious urls or they may be embedding some malware and, and hoping to get that to have a foothold. We know that some of the biggest pieces of malware that we're seeing are Quackbot. Um, Emotet, Emotet has not gone away. Again, that's another one of those big pieces of malware that we're seeing a resurgence because of these phishing campaigns. Uh, Formbook, basically anything that tries to steal information or install spyware or command and control. Uh, we've even seen 
um, PowerShell backdoors being installed in some of this malware. So th this is typically what they shouldn't be clicking, that they are clicking. And unfortunately, with the increase in volume, that's what typically increases success rates. And the threat actors know that. Yeah. They do, they do. Just talking to friends and family, if they receive emails and they're on their laptop, they will look at the URL and they'll think, oh, this doesn't look legitimate. And they won't click it, which is good. But That's with right. the Internet of Things, more people using their iPhones, Android devices, their tablets, it's a lot harder to discern legitimate versus illegitimate emails. So well, that's, you're Rob, Robin, you're right, not only from a form factor perspective, but the concept of typo squatting is, it's a big one. We mm -hmm. can make what look like legitimate URLs and, and the unsavvy user, as you shared, who may look at it on a smaller screen or may just be glancing very quickly because of the volume of emails may end up clicking on a URL that they actually do think looks legitimate. Mm. And yet it's, it's a typo squat and uh, they end up in a malicious site. Mm. So generally people fall prey to phishing attacks, not because they want to have the data leaked, but because they've had a lapse in personal judgment and no amount of training and awareness can really give a hundred percent efficacy of preventing phishing. So what sort of software solutions, hardware solutions can we employ to mitigate any phishing attack? The software and solutions have to be paired with user awareness. You're absolutely right. That user awareness though is not 100%, of course. It really can depend, as you said, on the devices being used. It can be depend on a person's state of mind at the time that they receive it. So how do we mitigate that? How do we supplement user awareness the answer is next generation anti-malware in those cases where we're trying to download a footprint on the user's device. Next gen anti-malware will identify that not only from a signature perspective, but can also identify the behaviors of those things that, uh, that are trying to act that we may not have signatures for or have not developed them yet. Also, we always have to look at intrusion prevention systems and you are things like url reputation right we mm -hmm. we can tell if urls have been generated by an algorithm we can identify uh, something that that looks like typo squatting we can even see those urls that have been used maybe in other attacks uh, and have been redeployed just for convenience sake so really having that robust converged stack of next-gen anti-malware and intrusion prevention, that's what's gonna supplement that user awareness. Mm -hmm. And Cato offers all of this currently with even more protections coming in the future. You mentioned Absolutely. about domain generation. We have enhanced DNS protections, which will be coming very soon. That can look at domain, uh, domain generation algorithms and much more to prevent that cyber squat problem or sending somebody to a URL, which might not be fully legitimate. So we can prevent, we can mitigate, and we can still continue improving our offerings to ensure we have a fuller, greater, broader coverage. But at the end of the day, right. it all comes down to the action. If the user clicks the wrong thing, well, hopefully you won't need the tech. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so on the topic of needing tech, let's talk about reduction of services, reduction of workforce, reduction of everything. And I'm sure you've seen lots of news about the recent shakeups that are happening at Twitter. But it's boy, not boy. just the management life cycle that's changing. It's also the technical aspect. Let's talk about bloatware. So what? Yeah, you know, Robin, uh, very, very interesting to watch as things turn at Twitter. We, as you mentioned, see changes in personnel. We see changes in functionality. One of the things that we've seen as a part of this 
change in uh, in Twitter's position is that uh, management looks at some of the functionality that's been provided by the platform and has begun to identify those things that they feel might be, as you said, bloatware. Those things that that, that may be functionality or microservices that, that they deem not necessary for the platform. And in this case that we're discussing today, this bloatware, as it's been characterized, is directly affecting end users. So specifically, we see that multi-factor authentication that is traditionally using SMS with Twitter, it's, it's not the only option, but the one that, that seems to be most often used by users, that uh, SMS or texting multi-factor authentication has been deemed a uh, maybe a, a service that is not necessary or, or maybe inadvertently uh, another microservice has been removed. Regardless of that fact, we see that SMS multi-factor authentication is showing up as, as broken for users. So if they attempt to log in, they don't get that second factor and they're not able to get in. Further to that, and this is where we're probably gonna need to do a little bit more talking, but Twitter does provide services that allow users to authenticate third-party websites using their Twitter credentials. Mm -hmm. And that appears to be broken as well. Again, all under the, the auspices of reducing bloatware and trying to get Twitter refocused on what folks feel should be its functionality. So a lot of trouble in user land with Twitter right now because of decisions that are being made. I've had quite a few friends who've been personally impacted by industry changes and my heart goes out to them. Though sometimes you think something might be bloatware. <laughs> you think it might not be a necessary function, but it might be a link in the chain that impacts something even further down. Now, right. what a lot of executives may not notice and observe is that it takes a lot of effort to get things continue running and all it takes is one piece of code to be updated one repo to be changed in which there's not a code lock dependency and then before you know it it's a house of cards that all fall down that's but right security authentication this is key personally is. i only have a facebook account to sign into other websites as a federated identity provider and many people also use twitter in a similar way so mm. what do you think the impact of these changes and these architecture changes are on the wider user base you know I'm, I'm glad you brought up federated identity management because i think there's a lot of confusion there i really want to talk about three items on this and mm -hmm. and user awareness is very important when we talk about these three items as is convergence of solutions mm -hmm. which obviously is something that cato network is 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 very intimately concerned with but we talk about multi-factor authentication and in a traditional cybersecurity sense, we're referring to authenticating users based on two or more of what we traditionally define as multi-factor authentication methodologies, whether it's something you know, it's something you have, or it's something you are. In the case of SMS, multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication, that's based upon something you have, which is typically your, your mobile device. So that is multi-factor authentication. That is simply trying to increase the, the validity of the authentication, knowing that indeed we are talking to the user that is presenting themselves. Then there's single sign-on. And a lot of articles around all the things that are taking place at Twitter keep referring to single sign-on. But we need to make a distinction between single sign-on and federated identity management. In the case mm -hmm. of single sign-on, that's something that is traditionally defined as 
authentication that is managed by a single organization. I've even heard it said that single sign-on only applies to a single organization. That's not entirely true either with the fact that we have such a, a proliferation of the, the cloud journey, so to speak, or SaaS offerings. Mm -hmm. Single sign-on will cover that. And that's typically covered by uh, a process and protocol known as SAML. And then there's federated identity management. And that really is what we're talking about here from a Twitter perspective. That really is doing identity management from a third party perspective. So Twitter basically providing uh, verification of credentials to any number of third party solutions that are looking for that and then providing information, not passwords, but providing information to that third party so that the third party can customize that experience. So I know I, I talked a lot there, Robin, but I think it's very important to understand those three differentiators and the fact that, as you said, particularly with federated identity management, you do have this potential house of cards situation. We may have a large number of users that are relying upon Twitter for federated identity management. And because OAuth was polled, that's the protocol typically used by federated identity management, mm -hmm. because that was polled, now users find themselves unable to access some of those third parties. So we really do need to think through building complex solutions that may rely on multiple products, multiple protocols, multiple interactions. And we really need to have a convergence mindset when we talk about this. Mm -hmm. And that's one reason that, you know, I'm certainly proud to be a part of Cato Networks. That's entirely the way that we think. But I really would invite users to consider some of the risks that are inherent with federated identity management because you are looking at that you know i like to think of it as multiple products or multiple tiers that are required to somehow interact with each other over these protocols and then last but not least robin please be careful looking at sms as a multi-factor <laughs> authentication methodology look sim cards can be cloned mm -hmm. sms is not encrypted you just got to be so careful with that. So please and, reconsider uh, any number of apps that can help. And as we saw with Uber, if you bombard a user enough with uh, authentication requests, eventually people will fatigue. They'd click OK, and then the threat right. actor will gain access. So being careful about federated identity is important. That's why at Cato, we integrate with multiple identity providers. If you want to use Azure, Okta, OneLogin, Ping Federate, and, and others, you can. So in the event that one of these vendors goes down, you have backup options. You, you're not vendor locked into one specific approach. Or if you don't exactly. want to use federated identity and you just need emergency connections, you can define users directly with Cato to help you going there. But a yeah. large... Well, a large business to customer tool like Twitter having this sort of failure. I think there's going to be some more stormy seas ahead. Just a little. Well said. Yeah. Just a little. Just a little. So <laughs> on the top, go on, let, let's talk about some stormy seas because I do believe there's some discord amongst the ranks with the AX locker. That's what right. is discord? <laughs> what is discord? Yeah, Boy, come on, what is discord? So it, it's many things to many people. The the origin of Discord was as a social platform for communication among the gaming community. That was really where they where they started out. And it's been a very successful platform, Robin, and continues to evolve. You see businesses using Discord for purposes of, of conveying maybe their value proposition. You see it being used for collaboration. It, it, it really is growing. 
so so yes growing <laughs> discord within the ranks if you will <laughs> yeah uh, over in the uk her majesty's treasure tre uh, red can't get my words out her majesty's treasure treasury uh, has their own discord server where they're posting updates to try and really connect with the younger generation Discord right. is seen as the fun, interactive collaboration tool, not like Slack or Teams, which are more corporate and business focused. So right. with Discord, you get a different user persona. People in a professional capacity generally are more, well, typically should be more astute and aware of security vulnerabilities and flaws, and they should have a professional head around them. But the primary user base of Discord is generally in the younger generation that are there to troll flame and discuss things that might not be so professional so right. why should we worry about discord and why should we worry about ax locker so i i love the way that you ask that because from the standpoint of what is discord what has it been and, and how is it used we may have a tendency to have a little bit of a blind spot toward it and and ax locker will take advantage of that now ax locker is not new what we are seeing is an evolution of AX Locker. So AX Locker, uh, it's a piece of malware that, that loves to get in and loves to encrypt everything on the compromised system. It, it does ransomware. Mm -hmm. But what AX Locker has evolved to do is to also comb the file system and find those Discord uh, authentication tokens. We've been talking a lot about authentication and and uh, SAML and OAuth and tokens and so forth. And AX Locker is doing the same thing. It's finding those tokens and then utilizing those tokens, not only to potentially impersonate that user whose system is compromised, but they're using Discord because of the growth of Discord and all the functionality mm -hmm. to exfiltrate data, to get it out of the environment. And a, a lot of ransomware is not simply ransomware anymore. We, it, it bears talking about this very briefly. But it simply isn't about encrypting the contents of file systems and then trying to extort a ransom in order to unlock. Because what threat actors are doing with ransomware is they're also exfiltrating the data. And if the ransom is not paid, then they will reveal the data uh, uh, on public sources, which of course that means the data could be tampered with. They can make it say essentially anything. So it's a double extortion scheme that essentially happens. So AX Locker has gotten wise about it, knowing that most businesses look at Discord as, oh, that's just a personal chat thing. We don't need to worry about that. They're using that as an exfiltration channel to be able to get that data out of the mm -hmm. environment. So one large change with Discord to other messaging apps is that it embraces users' personal privacy. They have the option of having aliases. You can't see what other channels or groups that individuals are on. So you don't need to give your real name, your real face. You can just be like the Wild West of the internet of, of many a year ago, where you can just be a handle. And if you join Discord and join one or two crypto channels, well, you're going to have direct messages at the wazoo where people saying, hey, I've got the great offer for you. Click here. And it's a scammer's paradise, as I may have been on the, the brunt of the other side. Now, when right. you talk about... Go on, after you. No, no. I, I hear you say you may have been the brunt, and, and that's mm -hmm. that simply is the reality. And, and what it what it does call into question, and, and we won't dwell on this, Robin, but it, it does call into question the use of personal applications like Discord and, and personal mm -hmm. accounts, which may be in the Wild West, 
utilizing those on work devices because now it just isn't about Robin Johns. It mm -hmm. becomes about the fact that you become a conduit into potentially an entire organization's um, intellectual property. You do. That is why at home and on my office network, I actually have Cato Networks protecting me for Discord. We have granular application control rules for the Discord application itself. We have data loss prevention rules stopping data from being moved from point A to point B. And as we mentioned previously, we have an IPS, next generation firewall, reputation engines protecting against any phishing links. As it's very easy for me to join the channel with yourself, Bill, see somebody mm -hmm. posting a lot, and then just copy their username, profile picture, send you a, a direct message, and all of a sudden I've assumed the identity of a trusted party. So as soon as you see that message from a trusted party, maybe it could be one of your guild mates or one of your football team, or sorry, soccer team members, you're thinking, oh, oh that person's trustworthy, I click the link. But it's only through that element of trust that people can steal the data. By having Kato in line to prevent messages from being sent across Discord or files being shared or a myriad of other controls, you can really protect or mitigate the overall threat vectors and attack surface to help keep you protected. Because honestly, after five hours of me playing Modern Warfare 2 and get being shot repeatedly by seven-year-old kids, I'm not really in a sound mind and body place where I'm assessing every single link. So sure. that emotional, <laughs> that emotional drive can really, well, cause some mistakes and that's some broke, broken controllers. But uh, that, that's yeah, a different you're topic. Right. <laughs> but no, your your approach is sound, Robin. Defense in depth is the key. One of the struggles with defense in depth are multiple point products. We go mm -hmm. back again to what we said earlier. If you've got a converged solution that can help mitigate the malware. If it has full application awareness and granularity where you can do, uh, you know, a lot of very advanced protections with cloud access security brokerage and, of course, data loss prevention. If, if they're able to get a hold of it, how do we stop it on the way out? So we've, we've got to have those multiple layers. A converged solution is the answer to that rather than having to jump to multiple point tools. And that's something that we bring to the table. So if any of these issues are of concern to you and you'd like to learn more or see how Kato protects you even more, please reach out to either myself, Bill, your account manager, your customer success rep, and we'll be able to show you how Kato can keep you protected, keep you secured, so you don't have to worry anymore. That's right. On, on that topic, thank you for your time, Bill. It's fun. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and I'll see you on the other side. Bye for Pleasure now. as always, Robin. Take care.